continue our study in Exodus as we look at chapter 18. Just before we get to the text this morning, nobody wants to stay stuck. I was thinking about that with the snowstorms that have come. I mean, the snow missed us where we're recording this this morning in Charlotte. Some of you are very thankful for that. We've been praying for some snow. We'd like to have some snow to play in at our house. It'd be nice. I mean, if it's going to be as cold as it's been and as wet outside as it's been, at least give us something pretty to look at. I'm afraid, though, we have some neighbors around the state and other parts of the country be like, you can take some of ours. Why? Because they get stuck. Nobody likes to be stuck. And when we think about ourselves, even ideologically, we don't like to be stuck. As much as people think it would be great to go back in time, it's just not possible. Maybe there was a simpler time for your family that you long for. My wife and I think sometimes we in little pictures pop up. We go, like, oh, that was so much simpler. Now, ours is a game of uh, we went from man-to-man defense to zone defense pretty quick. And there's some other families here that know what I'm talking about. We were outmanned. Uh, there were simpler times, but they weren't necessarily better. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it today. We, we parents see our kids growing up so fast, we're thinking, we're tempted to think it might have been better in a different season. Single men and women in the congregation and watching online this morning may look back to a previous group of friends that you were tight with and you wish that you all could roll like that again, and it's just not that way. Kids may long for an awesome vacation. Some of our kids in our room this morning went to this great indoor water park recently and I'm sure they thought it was awesome and on their way out thought man when can we go back we like to look back sometimes sadly on a more somber note death has taken many in our church family directly and indirectly that we're connected to and there are probably more than just a few moments that we'd like to go back to some happier days but that option is not available to us. What we have are memories and experiences that we can recall. Many of us get stuck because we want to live in the past. Some of us get stuck because we want to live in the future. We seem to be stuck in planning mode. We never do anything in the here and now because we're longing for the perfect ideal situation. I'll start this once we get to there. Think of your diet, maybe. Now, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but how many diets for most of us in the room or, or good eating habits have we started by this? Now, tomorrow, I'm going to start eating right, right? We're going to Grandma's tonight. She makes my favorite pecan pie. After that, after I need to be wheeled out with a shot of insulin, we will go to, no. We, we put things off. We wait for ideal situations. We wait for that on exercise, for spiritual discipline. Some of you are waiting until everything's perfect financially to have kids. It's not going to happen. It doesn't, that's not the way this thing works. You're waiting until everything's lined up in your life before you get married. That's not necessarily how this works. Some of you are waiting on spiritual disciplines until things fall into place. That's, that's not a good strategy. Some of us get stuck when we think about what could have been or might have been. Or maybe you're like Napoleon Dynamite's Uncle Rico and you say, how much you want to bet I can throw the football over the mountains? Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We could have won state. No doubt. You ever met somebody that's stuck? Just stuck. We've seen the danger of Israel romanticizing the past when things get tough and they get stuck. Their memory gets fuzzy. 
now they're headed for the promised land and there will be battles ahead and victories and losses. But one of the things I love about this chapter, chapter 18 of the book of Exodus, is the normalcy of it. There's just some normal everyday things that happen here. Take your Bibles if you have them and open them up to Exodus 18. Grab a pew Bible if you need to. We live in such a sensationalized, overstimulated, every experience has to be over-the-top, life-changing experience. Sometimes, sometimes it's good to remember that's not the real world. You can't thrive in that climate, actually. You, you need an interruption. If I can brag for just a moment with humility, whatever that means, on Grace Covenant Church, you need an interruption. Like the liturgy of Grace Covenant Church. We're not the only ones in town for sure, but there's a reason statistically that an increasing number of young adults are becoming disenchanted with the high production and the noise of the weekend shows that are offered on many platforms at church gatherings and are longing for something that doesn't fill every moment with high pitch fervor. They're longing for a moment to think They're longing for songs to sing that continually point them to deeper truths, not just hyper-emotionalism. They're longing for Bible teaching and preaching that equips girls and boys and women and men to do everyday ministry and live life for Jesus. You can experience life and power on a Sunday morning without all the hype. It's not always quiet, but it's not always loud. After reading about the trials and complaints and the battles of the Israelites, we move now into a chapter that describes the camp of Israel as a quiet place where normal things are happening. They also see the need to share in the workload of ministry. There's some question with this text as to whether this actually happens before or after Sinai. Let me address that for the two of you that will go check that out this afternoon. Uh, it doesn't matter if it happens before or after Sinai. That doesn't impact the, biblicals, the Bible's reliability or integrity of Scripture. In fact, it's, it's a brilliant move to have it here, even if it happens afterwards, because it's a great bridge to where they've been and to where they're going. Sinai's coming next. The Ten Commandments are just around the corner for us. But it's a beautiful passage here of slowing down. The first header that I would capture these first 12 verses in is under this. Ready? We publish the Lord's prominence. The title of the sermon this morning is Moving Forward as a Great Ministry. If we're going to move forward as a great ministry, we would learn well from Moses here that we need to publish the Lord's prominence. Jesus Christ, of course in the Old Testament here, the Lord, Yahweh, needs to be the main attraction of our ministry. Look at verse 1 with me if you would please. Jethro the priest of Midian, I want us to notice the reunion that happens. If you're taking notes this morning, four little headers under notice or publish the Lord's prominence. Notice the reunion in verses 1 through 6. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Good news travels fast. Good news still brings people together. And if there's ever been an age that we live in where the world needs a dose of good news, it's now. It's the reason folks drive through a certain fast food restaurant because the response is, my pleasure, wink. (laughs) Then others where they say, no problem. Do you hear the difference in the tone of those two? One sounds pleasant and inviting. 
The other sounds like, well, you didn't inconvenience me in this moment. Good news, pleasant things. Paul would write in the New Testament, and be kind one to another. It's striking that he would write that. Why would Paul put be nice to one another? He's talking about all this power that you have in God and all this faith we can have to do all these things. And he says, and be nice, be kind one to another. Why did he do that? Because he had been to church. <laughs> he knows. Good news travels fast. Good news brings people together. Notice the reunion here. Look at verse 3. He comes with the mother and uh, two sons, Moses' wife and her two sons. The name of the first one is Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the second one, verse 4, is Eliezer. The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Together, these names tell the story of Moses. Think about it. I was a stranger there, Moses' childhood. But God is my helper. Moses as the leader of God's people. They tell the story of the nation of Israel, Gershom. Like Moses, the Israelites were strangers in Egypt, Eliezer. But God was their helper and saved them from Pharaoh's sword. They tell the story of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have moved from sin, being alienated from God, to salvation in which we acknowledge that Christ alone is our help. What's in a name? Quite a lot, actually. There's the story right there of my life and your life if you're in Christ. It's quite an incredible reunion. Notice the respect. If you're going to take some notes here, the first one's notice the reunion. The second note I would have you to write down is notice the respect in verses 7 and 8. There's a standard Eastern greeting there. I won't go back and rehearse the verses too much, but you see this. They come to each other. They kiss. They bow down. They greet each other. You, you can't have community, real community, without contact. Uh, however, you, you can't go deep if you stay in the hustle and bustle of the crowd. You cannot get below the surface without stepping out of the traffic and out of the cultural norm. You see it? They, they greet each other outside, and then the second part of the verse says, and then they asked each other their welfare, and they went into the tent. They move inside the tent. What happens in the tent? Verse 8, we see what happens. They begin to talk. Moses tells his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. I'll come to that in just a moment. So, so they were outside in front of everybody, greeted one another beautifully, and then move inside. There are things that you need a more intimate gathering for. It's the reason that just coming to church on a Sunday morning is not enough to sustain you or to equip you to thrive as a Christian throughout the week. Why is that? Because you're just passing ships in here. I mean, we might have three or four minutes before and maybe you take your time and you've got five, ten minutes afterwards on the playground on a beautiful sunny day like today. And that's your connection. And what do we typically do, right? We huddle with the folks that we kind of normally huddle with. And we have to think, oh, wait, I see you all the time. Let me go over here. And, and then before you know it, everybody's in their cars and on the way home. Now, I'm not advocating for a four or five-hour gathering on Sunday. Y'all can have it. <laughs> what I am saying is we can't get it all done in a large gathering. We can't just do the cultural norm and expect to go deep with one another. There are things that happen in our Bible study groups at all ages, from the youngest 
to the most seasoned, you see what I did there, old folk, um, that cannot happen in our large gathering. There are things that just happen in smaller gatherings. It's the reason I invite those of you watching online to, to connect and to, to give us a prayer request or, or go deeper because, listen, I know what it's like. I've sat where you've sat watching a church service on a small device or on a TV at home. And even if it's a big TV, I mean, still it's not like being here. It's difficult to engage. It's okay to get content, but it's hard to connect. So engage Click through that prayer link. It's our privilege, our joy to pray with you and to pray for you. It's the reason I invite you to stay afterwards and come and pray down front, not to embarrass you or, or to try to create some kind of moment, but there are things that have to be handled in a smaller gathering. I would even say it like this. Covenant relationships move us from casual salutations to meaningful conversations. Look at that again. Because we're in covenant with one another as a membership body, we, we move, we, we are dissatisfied. I hope that you are dissatisfied, even my introverts in the room. I hope that you are dissatisfied with just casual salutations at church. Hey, how's it going? Great. Praise the Lord. Hey, man, good to be here. The Lord bless you and keep you, right? Whatever they are. Don't be satisfied with that. Let's go deep together. We can't do that just outside in the cultural norm. Moses goes into detail in verse 8 there that I told you. Look how he says it in verse 8. He says, he told him all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. The Lord was the main attraction here of this incredible account. It's remarkable. How is your testimony? When you tell your story, is the Lord the main attraction? When somebody says, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. I hope people are saying that to you. I hope opportunities present themselves for that. If not, there's still a way to share it without being opportunistic. You can still wait for the opportunity. But when you share your story, are you the main attraction? Do they leave with your bio or do they leave with an encounter with a gospel? This week, I posted a helpful tool on our website at gracecovenantcharlotte.com under the blog section designed to help you write out your testimony in a way that the Lord is the main attraction. If we're not intentional about it, we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. We're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to talk about our struggle, even our victory, more than we should. That's say, well, how can, uh, it's my story. Well, it's not your story. It's his story of him working in and through your life. Moses did it. Think about all they had been through. You haven't seen frogs and blood and fire by night. And, I mean, come on. This is remarkable stuff he shared. The Red Sea didn't part for you. Uh, not that I know of. Let's meet afterwards. Let's do one of those small gatherings. If it has, I'd like to discuss that. But, and Moses talks about the Lord and how it's the Lord's work. It's, it's remarkable. Paul illustrates this in Acts 26. In your Bible, I'd make a note just out to the side. Acts 26. Paul does this beautifully when he's before Agrippa. In verses 4 through 11, he talks about his life before Christ. And how he was a persecutor of those in the way. And then in verses 12 through 19, he talks about how he came to know the Lord. And the encounter he had with Jesus. And then in verses 20 through 23, he talks about his life now and his commitment to the work. That's a good testimony. Before Christ, how you came to know the Lord and you share the gospel in that point. Remember, Paul shared it so convincingly that Agrippa was like, are, are, you, are you trying to convert me? Are, are, are you witnessing to me right now? It's beautiful. 
when the Lord is the main attraction, let's look at the result. He, because he's the right focus of the story, that's your next line there. Notice the reunion, the respect, and the right focus. Jethro, I won't go back and read them all, but we read the passage. Jethro erupts in praise in verses 9 through 12. Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So what's the big deal about this passage? What's the big deal about verse 9 through 12 here? What Jethro erupting in praise. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh who's delivered the people from out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11 is pretty key. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. Remember, Jethro was introduced to us. All right, I want a response here. Jethro was introduced to us as the priest of Midian. Midian was a pagan people. He was not a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He was not a priest of God. This is a pagan priest who loves his son-in-law coming to visit but he's in the process of converting into becoming a child of God here. He's like many today, though, when he shows up, who think that all religions are more or less equal. That's the pluralistic society that we live in now, that it's okay for everybody to have their own way. You can worship any way you like as long as you mean it and are sincere. God won't mind. Wrong. The trouble with that is, the God of this Bible does mind. He sent his only son into the world to be the one and only savior. And that one and only savior said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The name of God's son is Jesus Christ. Concerning him, the writer of Hebrews would say that, uh, writer of Acts would say salvation is found in no other name. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. This is why Christians carry such a burden, a heavy burden for the salvation of family members. We believe that Jesus is the only way to God. And, and unless we trust in him, that we will be separated from God forever. The decision people make about Jesus Christ marks the difference between life and death. So more than almost anything else in the whole world, we want our wives and our husbands and our daughters and our sons and our mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and all of our friends and relatives to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to find salvation in Him and to come to have a living relationship with Him. What's the big deal? Well, then they get to proclaim like Jethro does here when he says, blessed be the Lord, I know that he is greater than all gods. It matters. This is a converting moment here. The word gospel is not used here in the Old Testament, but this is a gospel moment. The deeds of the Lord have been proclaimed where the Lord's the main attraction and Jethro is putting his faith and trust in the Lord. In verse 12, we see something remarkable happen. Look at verse 12 of me. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought with him a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, I'm, I'm going to suggest something to you. In just a few moments we have left. Don't worry, I'm going to cover the rest of this. Actually, this is the main climax of chapter 18. 
You might even say, you might even say, this could be the climax of the Exodus. This verse, really? Look, it's on the screen. Look at it. They ate bread, had a burnt offering. They got together, had a meal, and you're telling me this is the big deal? Oh, yeah, don't, don't rush past this moment. So far in the account of Exodus, I'm going to leave this verse up. By the way, if you're taking notes, the header for this was, this is the real climax. Notice the real climax, verse 12. So far in the story, we've had people treading on holy ground, a burning bush. We've had a spectacular plagues of blood and frogs and gnats and hail. We've seen death of every firstborn Egyptian. We've seen pillars of cloud and fire connecting earth and sky. We've seen a highway cut through the Red Sea with walls of water on either side. We've seen bitter water made sweet and manna appearing from heaven. But the remarkable climax, the astonishing account, the great happenstance is this drama in the meal before us. Because this is not just any meal. This is a meal in the presence of God. It's a meal with the meeting of the nations. It's a meal that joins the Gentile and the Hebrew in the presence of God for the first time. The Bible tells this story of Jethro's salvation because it shows that God is working out his plan for the salvation of the world. Salvation was never just for the Jews. From the very beginning, God intended to save people from all nations. This was a part of God's plan from the beginning of Exodus. God said to Pharaoh that he was bringing his people out of Egypt so that in Exodus, watch this, 9, God says why? That I might show you my power and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. A priest from Midian was virtually the first fulfillment of that promise as Moses proclaimed salvation to Jethro. The drama comes and goes they live only in the memory of man. The nations, Jew and Gentile, are brought together by a sacrifice to eat a meal in the presence of God. And the meal continues. The presence of God continues today when we gather to break bread. It points us to that ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb. When one day, a people from every tribe and every tongue from all over the globe will feast in the presence of of the Lord, yeah, the meal is kind of a big deal. God not only uses our pain for his glory, he not only saves others through the witness of our testimonies when he's the main attraction, but he also will guide us and help us. The second big header for the rest of our text this morning is this. We want to practice and put into practice. If we're gonna move forward as a great ministry, we've got to practice the Lord's guidance. We gotta practice the Lord's guidance. Now, you're gonna have to read this text when you get home. I'm gonna give you some headers and bring out a few points, but I want you to read the rest of this passage at home. It's supremely practical. You'd say, well, then you should have started there. Well, okay, we're out of time though, so you get to read it at home. I'm gonna give you some practical guidance through it. It's pretty remarkable what happens here. Jethro comes to Moses, the next day, verse 13, if you've got your Bible there, just look. We won't have the verse on the screen, I don't believe. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around uh, from morning until evening. 
When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Now, it's going to go on from there and unpack it. I I want you to notice a couple of things. Make some notes here on some things that you'll note as you're reading through this. Number one, notice the transparency in ministry. Moses isn't hiding anything from Jethro. He invites him in. Jethro says, can I join you? Jethro's come right there, and there's incredible transparency in ministry. We are still reeling and from embarrassment and the horror of recent headlines in evangelical ministry where there has been a lack of transparency and sin has become visible. Transparency in ministry is germane to moving forward as a great ministry. Now, you may have the crowds, you may have the bank account, you may have the followers, you may be an influencer, but it's possible to have all of those things and to see many people come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to stand before God and based on the authority of Scripture, Jesus say, depart from me. I never knew you. We don't get so obsessed with the work or the metrics of the work that that drives everything we do. No, we fix our eyes on Jesus and through a plurality of leadership. That's the reason we have elders here. We lead together. I don't sit and scratch my head for too long because I've got too much wisdom around me. I just ask the question, hey guys, what do I do here? What do you think about this? There's a transparency here Jethro's invited in. If we take the pastoral burdens of a large congregation and multiply them by a thousand, you'll get some idea of the challenges that Moses was facing leading Israel. Moses governed a nation of one million people or more all by himself. This was good perspective for me when I have a busy week. Wow. All by himself. The workload was staggering. In verse 13, the words I just read, we see perhaps the first, uh, the world's first case of judicial backlog. Moses had no end of work to do. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is the truthful, compassionate counsel. Verses 17 through 23. The truthful, compassionate counsel. When you read this account, you're going to see Jethro engage Moses. Jethro's going to say to Moses, look, this is not working. Uh, This is not working at all. You need to divide this camp up and you need to find able-bodied men to lead sections of this camp and they need to handle all of the matters they can handle. That's not delegation, by the way. That's entrustment. There's a difference. I don't want to get all leadership semantic on you. Delegation is what you do when the place is on fire. You grab this, you do that, you do this, you do that. It's task-driven. Entrustment is broader than that. Entrustment says, here, be fruitful and multiply. I'll help you, I'll guide you, I'll set you up to succeed, but... This is your responsibility. So, so Jethro says, you've got to entrust this, th- these judicial matters to groups of men. Break it up into groups so that, so that this is not the load. And then what they can't handle, they'll bring to you. You kind of become like the Supreme Court, as it were. A- at one level, this is simple um, wisdom <laughs> of delegating and entrusting responsibility. And it's striking that Moses, the man of God, is happy to adopt this wisdom from the Gentile world, and yet he does. And I'll say that about Grace Covenant. We're we're not looking to be some stellar example of uh, business acumen. That's not our goal here. We're not an organization as much as we are an organism. Now, we will 
know this. We will rip off everything we can from the business world that are good practices that make for effective and efficient ministry. But at the end of the day, our goal is ministry, and ministry is messy sometimes. It doesn't always go on a spreadsheet that well. What can does, and what can't doesn't. The book of Exodus is not a book on management practice. This story is here because it paves the way for God giving the law. Israel needs a system for resolving legal disputes because they're about to become a nation governed by the rule of law, the rule of God's law. This text, those verses will also, as you're reading them this week, you'll think, wait, this is kind of like elder-led congregations in the New Testament. Ding, 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 yeah, that's right. And then you'll say, wait, this is kind of like deacons serving in the congregation you'll go yeah you're right and then you'll say maybe hey we didn't invent small groups Jethro did ding 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 you're right there's a lot of great instruction here but it's truthful and compassionate counsel can I just draw your attention to one verse and then I'll hop to the next section so I can finish verse 17 you got that in your Bibles just look at the way Jethro gets into it right I don't know how he was trained to engage for uh, to give constructive criticism here, but first words out of his mouth. Moses' father-in-law says to him, what you're doing is not good. I mean, we expect it. I think, I think I answered the question, Mark. Mark and I were reading through the passage earlier this morning, and it keeps saying the father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law, Moses. It says that every time, like, you're going to forget from one verse to the next who Jethro is. I think it's, I think, I don't know if Moses is trying to stick it to the in-laws here by recording that, that that's his first instruction. I'm not sure what's going on, but we get it. The in-law says, this is not good. This is not good. But it's well-received, which us, takes us to the last point of this section. Notice the teachable spirit that Moses has. Listen, if we're going to move forward, if we're going to be a great ministry, and when I say great, I, I'm not looking to get written up about or be published or anything like that. What I mean is great in God's eyes. Meeting people. Meeting people's needs. Advancing the gospel. Making disciple, making disciples for life. If that's the kind of ministry we're going to be, then we've got to have all these things in place. We, we've got to be a transparent ministry. There can't be things happening that you can't shine the light on there. We've got to be truthful and compassionate when we give counsel to one another. We can't sugarcoat this thing. If I see you about to step off a cliff and I don't say stop, how can I say I love you? Same thing for the elders with me. Same thing in our relationships to one another. And, and we've got to maintain teachable spirits. Not just me, but I've got to be teachable. I don't know it all. If you look through verses 24 through 27, the last text, I'm going to let you look, and I'm just going to call out some of the action words together. Look at what it says, verse 24. Moses listened and did. Verse 25, Moses chose and made them heads. And they judged, verse 26, and the hard cases they brought and they decided Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away into his own country. Maxine Dunham explains it wasn't a matter of taking leadership from Moses. It was a matter of reordering and dispensing leadership in such a way that other people would share in the load. In Romans 12, 3 through 6, the Bible shows us uh, a vaccine, uh, as it were, to inoculate us against having a one-man show in church ministry. If you remember the passage, Paul writes there and says, don't think of yourself more than you should. That's good advice. Use good judgment. That's good advice. 
where many members that make up one body, each of us belongs to all of us. We have different gifts according to God's grace, and together we work to build his kingdom. If we're going to move forward, we can't stay stuck. If we're going to move forward, we can't live in the past. If we're going to move forward as a great ministry, we can't just look to tomorrow. We'll take our cues from the Old Testament formula here in Exodus 18, fleshed out in the early churches of the New Testament to be a great ministry, to realize this great ministry. There's a couple things we need to do. Here are our lessons at the end, just real quick. We gather together with covenant purpose. We're not satisfied at just the surface stuff. We want to go deep. That's why we gather. If we're going to realize this great ministry potential, we're going to have to make the Lord the main attraction. That means we talk about him, and we talk about him so much and in a way that others naturally praise the Lord as a result and come to know him personally. If we're going to be a great ministry, we will share in the work of ministry. And we will also share our resources to meet the needs of others. I wonder if you have a story to tell this morning. If when you tell your story, you have a song to sing or it makes others think about the goodness of the Lord. I'm not talking about God getting you out of a jam. I'm talking about the story of Exodus kind of story in your life. It starts with our bondage to sin. Our entire race sinned in Adam. And thus we have always been enslaved to sin. But long afterwards, for centuries of captivity, God sent a Savior to deliver us. It was His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us by His death on the cross. And here that writer of Hebrews reminds us that by His death, He might destroy the, Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those of us who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This was our Red Sea crossing, the crucifixion, and with it the resurrection. It brought us from death to life, from bondage to freedom. But that's not the end of the story. In a way, it's only the beginning. Now we live in Christ. We follow Him through the wasteland. As we walk this pilgrim road, we have a story to tell about how in spite of our ongoing rebellion, God provides for us and delivers us from our enemies. And because of him and his great work in us and through us, one day the nations will gather at the table to feast on the meal of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Will you be among that number? Will you be among that number? You can, but not if you stay stuck in your open rebellion against this loving and compassionate God. Let's stand together while they come to the instruments. We're about to sing. How do you get unstuck? Really, really simple. You ready? You repent of your sins. You put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you follow him and watch him work. Father, take your word this morning planted and engrafted into our hearts and minds in a way that causes us, like Moses, not to just hear good counsel, but to put it into practice. It's one thing to hear. It's quite another to do. Lord, we want to be blessed, not as hearers only, but as doers of the word today, and together move forward 
as a great ministry. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Let's sing together.